This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? Think so. You think so? All right. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast on location in Barcelona. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it with my guest, my friend, the greatest host of all time, Tomer Botner of Florentine Kitchen Knives, let's take care of a little bit of business, okay? Number one, number one is Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your axes, for your wood, for your knives, for your stainless, for your carbon, for your leather, whatever you got, your wood. I just made some uh, beautiful wooden carved spoons that I brought to my friend, my gracious hosts, and I use Axe Wax, and it's all natural and food safe, and it allows me to not worry that the health of my beautiful friends and family will be at risk because it's all natural and food safe. So if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. And if you're in the UK, go to UKKnifesupplies.com. They're taking Full Blast 10. If you're in the EU, Keith Colby's taking Full Blast 10. If you're in Australia, Gamaco. That's artisansupplies.com.au is taking Full Blast 10. And nordicedge.com.au is taking Full Blast 10. And I just got a message from Sausage Man Forge who works at nordicedge.com.au. And he wanted me to tell you at the Sydney Knife Show on the 6th and 7th of August, he will be giving away free Axe Wax. He will give away a can of free Axe Wax, and it's going to be a limited amount. If you go up to him, go up to Jamie, Sausage Man Forge. If you don't know who he is, that's your problem. You go, you go find Sausage Man Forge. He'll be at the NordicEdge.com, uh, Nordic, Nordic Edge stand at the show. And if you say Full Blast 100 to him, he will give you some Axe Wax. And there's obviously limitations, and don't give him a hard time. And if he runs out, that's the way it is. Or don't give him any fritz. Just he's doing a nice thing. So go see Sausage Man Forge at the Sydney Knife Show, 6th and 7th of August. Go over to the NordicEdge.com, Nordic Edge stand. Go up to him and say Full Blast 100. Thanks for sponsoring the show. And we will, he will give you some free Axe Wax. So definitely go get some Axe Wax. It's worth it. Number two is Total Boat. Total Boat is... Terrific! It's a company that makes adhesives, primers, paints, stuff for boaters. It started out with boaters and DIYers, and then they realized that the maker community uses the same stuff. So if you go to TotalBoat.com and then you put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your stuff. It's great. They have great epoxies. I've been using their two-part epo- two high-performance epoxy on handle scales. Uh, it's good. It's really good. It's 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 easy to use. Uh, it's very it's for all makers. It's really great stuff. I per- personally love the UV cure resin. You put a little bit in, hit it with the UV light, bingo, bango, bongo. It hardens up. It's the best. It's the best. And they do great stuff. And they have a lot of products. And there are people who are using their casting epoxies, uh, like Keep Decent, Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Jimmy Duresta, Woby Design. They're all using Total Boat, and it works for them. It's going to work for you. So go to TotalBoat.com, use Full Blast 10, and get 10% off your order. It's definitely worth it. Go give them a support, or even just follow them online because they're worth it. They're funny. And send them a message saying, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. It does help me out. Last thing I want to say is many, many thanks to Trojan Horse Forge. They're back with me. I love this company. They make really great 
knife finishing vices. The THF Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice is terrific. And it's not just for handles. They have a plate that you bolt on one side and you can hand sand the blade. You can, you can, it can accommodate for uh, integral bolsters. It can accommodate for uh, t- distal tapers. It can turn curve. If you have like, if you're making a kukri or a curved knife, it allows you to hand sand whatever you need to hand sand. It's really terrific. And then you turn it around and you put your, when your handles on, you're ready to finish it. It swivels, it, it moves. It's, it's a very intuitive, intuitive uh, knife vice, and I have one. I think I got another one on the way, which I'm excited about. And I I can't tell you how much of a game changer this has been for for me. Uh, every knife that comes out of my shop is on that vice twice. It's on the knife vice twice, and I, I, no more two by fours. So go get yourself one of them stable rail knife finishing vices at TrojanHorseForge.com, and if you put in the promo code Full Blast. They're going to give you free shipping in the United States. So get yourself a get send them a message saying thanks for the podcast. They're going to give you free shipping if you use the word knife talk. My bad. If you use the if you I'm a, listen, I'm a Barcelona guys. I'm I'm all fucked up. If you use the promo code full blast, you will get free shipping in the United States. And if you want, they have payment payment plans, uh, which is definitely worth it. Um, they're a great company, American company, and they're working with. Uh, they're working with you, other uh, makers, to make beautiful, beautiful things. With that said, let's start start the show. I am in Barcelona, Spain, with my friend, Tomer Botner of Florentine Kitchen Knives. Three years ago, we did a class, a collaborative class, where I came to Barcelona. We had students, and they put together the classic, classic Florentine kitchen knife stacked handle. And then we were going to, we booked, it was a success. We had, were, we were going to book another one. We started to book another one and the panty hit. The panty hit, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, the panty hit and we had to cancel. We did it again and we're here. I'm here in Barcelona and we designed a knife that was a combination of the Florentine kitchen knife stacked handle with my 8 inch K tip called the double agent and we had an awesome time and I just want to say before anything else I cannot thank enough my friend my close friend a guy who is generous creative thoughtful and the best host of all time Tomer Botner thank you for everything thank you Jeff. you're the you're the best uh, guest a host can have I have to be a good guest because I'm a terrible host. I'm I am very well aware. When we when I was last here, I you just handle everything and you're calm and you're cool and you're just so generous and everything is at your there's nothing no rock is left unturned. You are a marvelous host and I said to you, well, "How come you're such a good host?" And you said, "Because I'm part Egyptian and Egyptians <laughs> are the best hosts." Well, I guess that's true. It's it, it has there has to be some I, obviously there's something there and um, so we're here in Barcelona. It's be, the weather is hot. It's beautiful. You have a new shop. Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, last time I was here, you were in the smaller shop by the La Rambla, La Rambla, and now we have a shop. 
that's totally different. Yeah. How is the new shop going? It's going okay. Obviously, such a big space um, has a lot of moving parts. Also, the first shop we basically built from the ground up. Right. We designed everything. We had control over everything. This place, even though we got it in good shape, we had to to make it fit for our needs, and it's it's a process, it's still ongoing. Like you know, where where everything is, or is this uh, is the vacuum system good enough? Do we change it? Is different things that we have to. We'll we'll be probably adjusting over the next few months at least. Um, but it's great. It's a great space. It's beautiful. It's comfortable. It's a little bit hot in the win- in the summer and right. cold in the winter, but that's the way it is. Um, and and most most um, most of all, the biggest difference is like our air quality, I guess. So we got we're not in a small room with dust all day. We have a big space. Our lives have been, in terms of our health at work, it's been much better. One, when, I, when I think about working in both shops now, I've had the privilege of working in the smaller shop and in the bigger shop. One thing I noticed is I feel as though it had both the, sh- the shops affected. Not a, When I say affected, I'm saying it, it's changed a little bit of the direction of Florentine Kitchen Knives in the sense mm-hmm. The original shop, which was half retail space, half manufacturing, was really, it was hard to do a lot of manufacturing in that space. So it seemed as though that space was far more about retail than anything else. Versus now, the shop is beautiful with high ceilings and workstations everywhere. And you have this big, beautiful, giant two, you know, this grinding room that's got two areas in it. It, you have four, uh, four grinders now instead of one, or instead of two. More like six grinders. Six grinders. And you, it's very clear, even, and then you, you open the windows and people are poking their heads in. It, it doesn't seem, it seems much more focused on production rather than walking traffic. Definitely. And, you know, it goes both ways. The building affects us, but we also affect the building. We will have... A store inside the factory, so and people still come to. If someone's in Barcelona and knows us, they come to us, even though it's not as central as it used to be. So people still come. The shop is still active. I mean, the shop is the retail shop, and and we we will bring it back. So we will have a, a retail space, and you like people will be able to come and customize their knives on site, or grab whatever we have on stock if we have to. But yeah, this place allows us to do many more things and you know it affects the way I'm thinking about our future because now we have the possibility. I could not have dreamt to do some things in the old shop just because I didn't have the space or the, the space for the machinery for one and the people. Um, and it, this one allowed us now to grow to we're eight, we're eight people now. Uh, and we in this space we can be more. And it's like... I can't tell you that I 100% know what we want to do, which way, which path we're going to take. 
but this base basically leaves everything open to us. We can decide whatever we want. There's extra space in there as well that makes me feel like there's more opportunities for intimate uh, events. Yeah. We had at the, at the so we had this two day class. The first day, the students came in and we had them in. The first time we did this class, we had people in. Uh, we had them in one at a time, just because of the space, yeah. just because of the amount of room we had. Mm-hmm. You had really one grinder, yeah. and we had to. It's not the standard class. In the standard class, you get like eight people in. They all show up at the same time, and they're all grinding at the same time and doing everything. Yeah. Because of the space, the space you have. Yeah. The first class, the first class three years ago, we had to have one person come in, and then an hour later, the next person come in, and we had to haul. We had to work hard, haul yeah, ass, yeah, to yeah. make sure that there was no lags. We really had to push. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would be like, "Oh my god!" And it was true. I mean, you had eight people coming in every hour. So it was less people. It was six people. Yeah, six people. Yeah. But it was like every hour we had to make sure that that. That first person was done because the next person is waiting to come in. So yeah. it was like a haul. Yeah. Now we were able to do two. This, what, what, so, and then this, and then, so the first day people grind their knives to get them ready. And then we do, they pick their colors, the stacked handle, we glue it up. And then the, that night you had this beautiful, beautiful terrace or uh, patio, I guess you'd call it, or entertaining space really. Yeah. Uh, with the, with the view of, you know. It's Barcelona. It's the city of Barcelona. And we were able to cook. We cooked for everybody. It was this intimate environment that you couldn't have possibly done. And I know you had, a, you had cocktail parties at yeah, the old shop. No. But this was sit down. You have this beautiful kitchen. And you were able to. We grilled all this great food. And we had drinks. And we had all everyone. It was a much more of a. It felt like a, like a Barcelona experience. Yeah. We have a rooftop. It's a classic Barcelona thing having a rooftop. Uh, bar or restaurant so we have a rooftop grill I can't help but think even though just the space in and of itself it, I believe that this space has transformed your direction in terms of the business because you can do more yeah. but you know even when you said you're going to have retail space it's not going to be as though I mean you literally the, la- the last space was half retail half yeah. shop space and this is going to be le- this is not going to be half and half yeah. I mean there's no way no way Oh, this place is pretty big. It's like 620 square meters, um, and maybe maybe 20 of those square meters will be the shop, hmm. and the rest will be manufacturing. I'm gonna put the mic just a little bit closer to you. Ah, sorry, it's fine. I want to just make sure. So I love it here in Barcelona. <laughs> I, I can you bar- come more often. I you say the word. You say the word. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even mind all the travel. I don't mind the jet lag. I don't even mind the time difference. There's something about Barcelona that is unique to the cities that I've been to. It doesn't remind me a lot of it. it there's parts of it that you walk down the streets that there are these moments where you recognize parts of Europe, yeah. France. Yeah. There's a lot of like these little alleyways. When you look down, you notice these European similarities. Yeah. However, there is this like 1970s New York thing that I can't shake. There's, as my wife would say, my wife loves a little bit of sleaze. <laughs> she would say, she says she, she has an appetite for sleaze. And this, is, this city has some beautiful sleaze. I can see myself. I can see myself living in Barcelona. 
easily. Let's go. One of the things I wanted to know about, and I thought about it talking to some of the students, looking at your handles, looking at the materials that you use, and we're going to talk about food in a minute. Yeah. Because can't, you can't talk about Barcelona in this trip without talking about food. I feel as though your knife designs, especially the classic Florentine kitchen knife stacked handle with the shape and everything, I feel that it is not... I feel that it is a Barcelona knife. Like there are... I feel that the city of Barcelona has influenced your designs in terms of the color. Just the color. The colors that you've chosen. I know it's interesting because the color discs that you use, you don't use G10. Use Micarta. And part of it's because of the machining. I don't know if you... And the, part of it's the color options. You're, you're, that's the thing about G10 and Micarta. You only have a certain amount of color options. You yeah. can't... It's not like going to the paint store and you can pick yeah. tones. Yeah. Part of that is frustrating, but the other part of it makes you creative because you, you have to be able to use contrast and color theory and figure out how you, how they match the colors that you, and, and I, and I've said this to, I said this to your wife last night. I don't think without seeing your knives and having your knives, I don't think that I would be doing what I'm doing color wise. If I wasn't, and I'm not, when I say permission, I almost feel like when your classic style has given me permission to be more creative. Like, that's the influence. It's not like I'm, I'm inspired by your work and then I'm just going to make stacked handle knives. You've broken the mold in terms of color choices, color decisions, and saying, okay, this is not just the way. Knives aren't made a certain way. This is the way we're making these knives. You've given me permission to say, fuck it. I'm going to use high contrast colors. I'm going to use color theory. I'm going to go asymmetrical. I know you don't do that, but... How would you say that Barcelona has influenced the work that you've done? Not just the space, but like the town in and of itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like completely... Um, I mean, it's just... You know, I think it happens, you know? I don't think it's premeditated. The same way that these knives started in Florentine and Tel Aviv, for me, they were really represented that place. But I think it's a mix between our search to improve, uh, uh, improve the product in all ways, you know, in all the different ways that the product can improve, and us pushing more and more to use local materials, to work with local suppliers or anything else. Right now, everything we get is like in the neighborhood, France, Spain, Portugal, and and it just rubs off, I think. And that thing, sometimes limitations, the, like the smaller the box, the deeper you have to dig in. Like you have to... Right. And some limitations that we had in terms of our production created these new things. Just from not being able to do one thing, just have to find a solution to do it another way. Um, and the colors... For me, it's weird because I, I like, I say, I just follow instructions, right? I mean, people design their own knives with us. We don't, we hardly make any stock. So everything we make is made to order. And we have these, this customizer on the website, which was really lucky for us that we, 
we, we decided to do it on the right time, yeah, especially when the pandemic started. So people can pick their own colors on the website, customize, and we just follow what they say. And they come up with the most amazing things. Like, and even things that you cannot do on the customizer, people just send us some ideas or suggestions or stuff they want to make. And they create a lot of innovations for us in a way. They are a part of our process. So you have been, I, I know what you're, what you're saying. Maybe you'll, a customer will come up with a color scheme or a design that you would never have thought of. And you might have even be, you would, in your mind, you would never gone to yeah. out of your own personal choice. But you, when you do it afterwards, you're surprised. Yeah, and, and I love it. And then I do, I, 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 I prove it or I evolve it. Yeah, that's that's one of the unsung greatest parts about being a custom knife maker. Yeah. It's the idea that it's the idea that your customers, ah, you know what we talk about sometimes customers don't know what they're talking about, but sometimes something will happen that's surprising, and you wouldn't you your own personal taste would prevent you from doing them. Mm-hmm. But after the fact, you see it, but you'd be like, you know what, that was pretty cool. Maybe I should try something. It, it becomes you become much more accepting of you you accept things and it's it's almost like it's freestyling it's not freestyling it's it's seeing it's getting paid it's getting paid to see what something would look like yeah. really yeah. you know it's like free it's paid like play. Yeah. you're paid it's paid to play because I mean you 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 when you're making something you're just like well I don't want to waste my time making this if I can't sell it well yeah. somebody already wants something that's kind of you wouldn't do on your own thinking that you wouldn't be able to sell it. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're maybe you're going down a road that you would never have gone down before. True. You know, which is a, which is which is one of the things that I think that a lot of I think that a lot of people are, are hesitant to make something that's not completely theirs because they think that someone else gets credit for it or something like that. Yeah. But I do believe that I mean obviously I didn't know you before you were in Barcelona and I and I know your work I know your work from looking at past work that you've done, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, about the work that you did. Definitely listen to the first episode with Tomer and, and talks about being in design school, industrial design school, and the decisions you made. I believe that there's a... I believe that if you were in another country like... Let's just say... Let's say France. Let's say you're France. I don't think you would be doing what you're doing now. I think it would be a different variation. And I think that the... The, the color, the, I think the taste of your work would be slightly different. I think that Barcelona has affected you, affected your work in the most positive way possible. I'm, I'm happy to hear it, you know. I really want to, I really want our knives, everything we do to be reflective of our surroundings. And that's why, you know, we start from the materials and the people that, you know, work with us and our relationships that we have here and, and what we see. Like, I come from a place where you don't see a lot of beauty, let's say, on the street. Like, right. Tel Aviv is not exactly Paris in, in that regard. And and I think here, we, being here seven years, I've been, I've been accustomed to aesthetics, especially when living in the center of the city for most of that time. Now we just moved to this neighborhood, probably know which we're here now, which is completely different. Right, you've seen it's like right. more of a yeah, it has that sleaze. Yeah, more that I don't know that 
Brooklyn vibe, right? Effect, but and things are more industrial in a way. But I think, yeah, we learn a lot and influenced a lot just being around this like architectural beauty and, and that, like old buildings and things that have been done the way you know things have been done the same way for hundreds of years and like that thing that I don't come from I come from a very new place in a way but in a literal sense though now that I think about it in a very literal sense how Barcelona has affected you talking about the streets outside your apartment is a graffiti mural yeah that is beautiful. It's yeah. like it's and it's it's not. And one thing we passed we passed by it, and you told and we you well I'll tell you what happened. But it's not spray painted. This is a guy who had paint brushes, and he made these bold decisions. And there's these bold lines, and there's lots of like there's richness to it. It isn't like your standard spray paint graffiti. It's, it has a, a very the color choices are very muted. But at the same time, there's a lot of contrast. There's lots of maroons and deep colors. Deep colors that are, that are not what you would normally see with graffiti. Yeah. And you contacted that graffiti artist or that, or that yeah. artist. Yeah. And they started to make the designs that you put on your knives. So, I mean, it's like this, and which you're giving me one, which I'm thrilled. I'm taking back. And I'll, <laughs> I'll put a picture on the website of it on the, on the, in the show notes on Instagram. But that's the literal, that's the literal connection that you've had yeah. with the city of Barcelona. Definitely. We, we've made a very conscious choice that we want to be a part of the community here and the people we work with, if it's photographers uh, or artists like this, are locals. Not that we exclude, um, but we do want to get to know the place where we live, like, and do you think, do you think because you and your wife are, you know, immigrants, yeah. immigrants from Israel, yeah. how do you feel that you're accepted in the community? I mean, Florentine Kitchen Knives is the biggest, is the, as far as I know, no, is the most recognizable knife company in Europe. Most recognizable for custom knife makers. I don't think yeah. that there's, a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, you'd say Lyol and all this bullshit. Yeah. But in terms of, Custom knife makers, in terms of the design and everything, I don't think there's anyone more recognizable than Florentine Kitchen Knives. How do you feel that being not from Barcelona, not being from Spain at all, yeah. how do you feel you've been accepted? Um, I think it's, it's, always, it's a, always like a work in progress. We have to feel that we belong before people like, accept us. As one of, like one of theirs, and right. obviously there's the language barrier here. That's a little bit more complicated. We're in Spain, but in Barcelona we speak Catalan. I don't speak any Catalan, but my kids do and will. And it's a process. We have some very good friends here who are locals, but this city is so multinational right. that honestly, I we know just people from everywhere. And it's great. I mean, it's a great community. Can you just describe the difference between Catalan and Spanish is? I would say some, some words in Catalan are exactly the way they are in Spanish. Some words in Catalan are exactly the way they are in French. And there's also in stuff in between that I don't know. what. It's just another language. It's a different language. And 
So is that were, were the people of Catalan? Catalonia. Catalonia. What were? I mean, what's the? Do you know like the brief history? And not brief history, but like I mean, where are the people from Catalonia? They're from here. Um, they spill over a little bit across the border to France. This was like a how do you say it? a principality? Sure. I think some sort of that that kind of its own little region. You you know and just was conquered by Spain at some point and became part of it. And then what's the difference? How is the relationship between, I mean, not the relationship, but like, so you have Catalonia, and then how does the Basque, how does Basque fit into a Spanish culture? Spain is complicated in that way, and I feel a little bit bad talking about it without being Spanish. Uh, It's just from, you know, the little that I've seen and heard here, it's really divided into these 17, I think, different regions. And every region has a really strong sense of, uh, of itself, right. you know? And they differentiate each other from each other by even sometimes by languages. Like there's a few different languages. And, and sometimes it's just that, that sense of the, I am Galician or I am Basque or I am Catalan. Right. Um, and it's very present here um, and politically charged <laughs> is that right and it's not super comfortable to discuss for a foreigner I think because you know I can't I won't tell someone he, that he shouldn't feel the way he, right right everybody feels the way they feel right speaking of Basque and one of, and one of the other connections I feel that's been a, a huge influence. And when I say influence, I feel like it's almost osmosis yeah. where just being, you know, submerged in Barcelona and the cultures and the, the people have had a subconscious reflection on your work. You took me to this restaurant. This is the second time I've eaten. You've taken me to, you have a friend, this chef. His name is Borja. 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 This guy is officially... Who attended our first workshop. Who attended our first workshop. With his whole With his whole crew. Yeah. I would say Borja is my favorite chef in the world. Amen. I don't think think I've eaten better food anywhere. Anywhere. New York. Anywhere. United States. France. I've never, ever, ever, ever eaten better food. Than what Borja has served me two times, yeah. both different restaurants, three years apart. Three years apart, both meals were considered. I consider it without question. I mean, it isn't even a question. No. The best food I've ever had, and I know people are thinking it's like tweezer plate food. The the restaurant you took me to. Oh, that's definitely not. This, this is and this is this particular food is very it it. So the restaurant now. That he it runs is called Ultra Marinos Marin. Ultra Marinos Marin. And it looks like when you walk into it, it looks like a diner. But like a, a Spanish diner, tapas place. Yeah. There's small tables, there's a counter, and on the under you have glass and they have prepared tapas, small plates, tapas is small plates of food. There was one tray with Muscle or, or shelled, yeah. some sort of shellfish. Yeah, these trays filled with 
the stuff that they pre-cooked. And they brought us to the back, and the back was almost like a laboratory. Yeah. He had built had built in a hell. Pardon me? Laboratory in hell. A laboratory in hell. There was definitely like a, a dungeon quality to it. So the, you walk in and it looks like it's bright and it's got, you know, this, this kind of, not, I wouldn't say European cafe, but it has a European cafe style. And then you go to the back and it's dimly lit and there's some special tables there. And then there's this hand-built cast iron stove with the plancha where you know you've seen with all wood fired that you've seen i'm sure this is the same one that finkel ferguson probably has from mm-hmm. generations handmade stove with like you know the plates that come out and you can you add to the fire and then there was this other like there was this other like an oven filled with glowing embers yeah. and then in the back Smoker. they there were smokers and then they would take the fire and then they would put it underneath everything's cooked with fire there is no yeah. gas anything yeah. in that restaurant no it looked i mean it looked like a torture chamber yeah. it looked like, it looked very medieval yes some animals have suffered there some i mean <laughs> you know animals have suffered at the, at the at the, uh, at, the uh, at the delight of humanity yeah. because one of the, the, so the, when, and Borja is a, just a, he's a funny guy. He's yeah. a, he's smiling. He, he, he's, he looks, I mean, he looks slightly deranged, but at the same time, it's <laughs> like a wonderful, it's a, he, he's, a, he's, he's quick witted. Yeah. He's affable. He's what you would expect as a, you know, a good customer service restaurant guy. When you talk to him and he's funny and he's telling jokes and he's not serious, even the name of the restaurant's not serious. I guess Ultra Marino's Marino is. Uh, yeah, it's basically like a dollar store. It's the name Marino. of a dollar store, yeah. right? When the food comes out, the first thing that came out was Benito Tataki, which were these Benito. Yeah. Benito no, but he he wouldn't allow. He would say he said Tataki under his breath. Oh, he said Tataki under his breath because it's not Mediterranean. He said it's like a tataki, for lack of a word for it. So tataki meaning it was a slightly braised or slightly seared. Slightly seared from the outside, but raw in the center. Yeah. Right. So there were these pieces of cured or marinated bonito yeah, or something, marinated. and there was no garnish. There was some no chives. some chive, a couple of chives, yeah. a little yeah. a, one, maybe one chive. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was in this sauce. And we're going to talk about what garam is. It was so simple on the plate. You think, okay, yeah. it's a sashimi or something yeah. like that. With some pan sauce. Yeah. It was a flavor bomb of texture, of temperature, the temperature of the fish, yeah. which was which was not cold and it was not hot. It was it was perfect. It was the most perfect bite and the sauce was this everything that started coming out was simple. But I couldn't explain yeah. the deliciousness. It's just perfectly executed food. And, you know, he's such a, he's such a great friend. He's been such a great friend. And, you know, we, we got to eat there. We feel like he cooked with love for us. And you feel it in the food. And everything is, there's like no stone. I mean, there's like everything is super treated, but you can't see it. Yeah. Everything has been completely experimented and thought out, and but also it's just it's like it's similar in a way maybe to to what we do. It's like he's done it so many times, 
that in, I mean, if you look at him work, it like it looks easy, but then the food is so in your mouth, it's so complicated and complex. That's the thing. When it doesn't look like it's yeah. there's no foams, there's no yeah. there's no side dishes. It's not plated in a manner that's like you know. It, I'm not saying it looks sloppy on the plate, no. oh. but it's the simplest, the simplest of simple, the simplest of simple, and. The surprise is when you bite it, when you yeah. eat it, yeah. you're shocked. You're shocked that something so simple and so delicate could possibly be as complex. We were eating these grilled shrimp. Oh, no, we weren't eating grilled shrimp. We were eating a shrimp prepared twice. So the body was, I think it was cured or the body of the shrimp was, the meat was cooked. The body was raw. Was raw. Yeah. And the heads yeah. were... The head were, were, were done grilled on the plancha. On the plancha. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a guy on the plancha who works the plancha places the orders and, you, and then he's working and he's yeah. The flavor from the shrimp heads Amazing. were like nothing I'd ever had. You, I don't understand what happened. Like I was <laughs> like I I didn't it didn't none of it made any sense. <laughs> the food was so surprising. In its simplicity, yeah. but its incredible complexity. Yeah. It was it was it was mind my mind I'm not being I'm not just saying this. My mind was blown. My mind was blown back when he was at the other restaurant yeah. too. There's a there's a um, and this is he this is Basque food, yeah? Well, no, this is Mediterranean okay. but but still cooking where we are, so the produce is local. Only local, like he's not shipping in caviar or something. Like right. everything is uh, locally sourced from everything, and the techniques uh, are fire and a, a hot plate. Basically, that's about it in terms of heating. And but everything else is Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean inspired. But I've eaten Mediterranean food. It ain't like this, right? You don't have this. Extraordinary. I mean, it, uh, flavor bomb is overused. These were these mo these bites were unreasonably perfectly, complex, but and, and perfectly balanced. Perfectly balanced, unreasonably delicious yeah. for what it looked like. You had no. I mean, it was such a, a subterfuge. Yeah. You had no idea. All the textures are exactly what they should be. Like, at the, 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 but you can't picture it. No. You can't picture when you when you put a bite. You know, they bring you to the thing and put a bite. You don't have any, you have no expectation for what you're about to bite. You have no expectation for how amazing it is. Which brings me to, maybe you can explain what garum, he uses a lot of garum. Yeah. Garum. Yeah, what is so. garum? So garum is like the old way, it's, it's, um, it's a very old sauce. It's made from fermented fish guts. And it, it needs to age for a few months until it's until it's ready. And it's basically like a Mediterranean soy sauce. And Borja makes his own. Um, I think the the tataki we had had a, like a lemon garum, which was pretty amazing. So it has both the, like the saltiness, the acidity, right. a little funkiness. Um, yeah, and he's he's quite known for that, and they run out of it quite quite right. fast. People ask for it a lot, 
and it takes a while to make, you know. It has it has a fish sauce quality to it, you know. Yes. When you have fish sauce, it's the same thing with. And I've realized this: we we put clams on our pizza. Yeah. At home, that's the same thing. That's the fish sauce. Mm-hmm. That's the garum. That's that's that umami flavor. Yeah. That funkiness. That little bit of funkiness. Yeah. Com- that you get. That you. A lot of people don't like clams on pizza because they just think it's weird. But you end up with that same flavor. Yeah. Of a little bit of funkiness that's desirable. Yeah. Not it's not overwhelming. It's not fishy. It's okay. like it's a desirable yeah, quality that smooth. I very smooth. Yeah. That I that the garum had, and it was very it was hard not to notice. It was uh, there was you. It, I mean, when you see, people use the word fucking umami all the time, and it really is an undescribable flavor. It's a it's almost like a it's like a rich contentment <laughs> or deliciousness that you just can't explain. Yeah. But the garum, which I, I've only had twice, and I was with both of. Yeah. Borjas restaurants. Yeah. It was very, very apparent. It was this unwritten, unexplainable flavor that was like desirable. Yeah. We had he did these langoustine shrimp that were grilled in half, and you they they gave us the and obviously you were there, so they they uh, they pulled out the red carpet when when Tomer shows yeah. up. We overate. <laughs> we overate. We overate. They brought out these. I, I forgot. So then we had these, we had shrimp, and then, then they had sweetbreads. These sweetbreads. Oh, I had sweet. When I was a kid, my old man used to make sweetbreads, and they were fine. They were relatively, and it's a gland. It's the hypothalamus gland, I think. It's a thalamus gland inside the neck of a sheep or a yeah. lamb. It's like a, it's like connected to the brain. I don't know for some reason I thought that. I think it's a good gland, gland yeah. on the side of the neck. It's some kind of gland. Usually the tech, when I remember at one restaurant they were cooking it, the chef told me what you got to do is you have to make it crispy on the outside and then it's a little tender on the inside, otherwise it gets a chewy. He sent out this sweet bread and I'm just like, you know, I can, if I'm in a restaurant and I see sweet bread on the menu, I'm I'm never like, I got to get the sweet breads. I'm I'm just like, you can take it or leave it, honestly. You're the opposite, all right? I got to take it. So, but this sweet bread, I remember I said to my, my dad used to make sweet breads and you said to me, I bet your dad didn't make sweet <laughs> breads like this. I was like, you're fucking ain't right. He never made sweet breads like this. The, it was crispy. It was flavorful. It wasn't chewy. It was salted perfectly. Once again, I was, I was actually not expecting to be, to, to enjoy it. I was expecting to be like, I'm going to just be polite. Yeah. I, I didn't outwardly think that, but I'm like, I'm not going out of my way. I'm not frothing yeah. at the mouth over sweet bread. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. You can give or take it, but at the same time, like yeah. I said, probably not going to order it on the menu. I was stupefied. Yeah. The texture, the flavor, the salting, the, the seasoning, but it looked underwhelming. I mean, it didn't look, I'm not saying, when I'm saying underwhelming, like I said, there's not towers with, it's not tweezer food. No, it's it's just, just well-plated, simple, elegant I don't know if I use the word elegant, be honest with you, with the plating. It's just, mm. it is what it is. It simple. comes to your plate. It's simple. simple. I was stunned. I was stunned. And you, they sent out plates. And what I noticed was, which I found obnoxious, but it, I found it obnoxious only because I'm a Gavon, is they put three pieces on the plate. And for some of the things, I was just like, I really hope Tomer passes on this last one. It was so delicious. <laughs> I was saying to myself, I hope he's not hungry anymore. Because I'm ready. I'm ready to fight over it. I'm ready to fight over this food. Of course, you would like, you take this. You take this. And that's the American way of saying, I want this. You know what? It fucking ain't right it is. <laughs> it right it is. I say to my wife, well, here, go ahead and have it. She goes, oh, go have it already. It's fine. But it was, I mean, everything. And then you get, and then you just don't think it's going to get any better. You don't think it's going to get any better. And I don't, we had, 
They made these cold cuts. There was like a, it was almost like a, the rubia gallega. The, the, it was like a head cheese almost. It was like a, it was like, yeah. a, it was like a, like almost like mortadella. It was soft, it was funky, yeah. and it was, it was the, deli- it was like a, a head cheese or um, which is P.S. is the worst exp- exp- explanation of something as delicious as it was. That was amazing. These, and then there was. I'm trying to think about what else there was. We had sardines, grilled sardines. Yeah, excellent grilled sardines. Excellent grilled sardines. And the, and all of a sudden, we're like, this is the middle of the day. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, I just got off the plane. We we, we ended up making a couple knives afterwards. <laughs> we, 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 so the dessert came. Dessert, yeah. And I'm not a dessert guy. I try to like, especially at lunchtime. I don't eat lunch. Yeah. I, at lunch, I eat dessert. And it, and, and it was probably like, it turned out by the time I got there, we got off the plane, went home, dropped his stuff off. Went to the shop, then we'll go to go to a Borja's place, and then it's by the time we get to Borja's place, it's like maybe in New York now, it's like seven a.m., six a.m. We're going for this big lunch, so we're having dessert, breakfast, breakfast, and they send over the first dessert, which was an apricot sorbet, and they put it in a champagne glass, and they poured cava, cava on top. Cava is like a cava is like a dry. Rich, tasting sparkling wine, and then they mixed the apricot sorbet with the cava. They put in a put in a fruity straw. Like they put in like a like (laughs) we were on a date. We look like that might be the picture of this episode. That might be the picture of this episode. And it was once again, I was my mind was blown. Like I didn't, I was not expecting it to taste. As delicious as it was, I would. I, there's, there's no explanation. I mean, fucking, you think, okay, apricot sorbet, what's the big deal? I was stupefied. It's just real. Everything's real, you know. It, it, this was an apricot before it became an apricot sorbet. It's, it's not like you went to the supermarket and bought apricot sorbet. So they actually they make everything from scratch, and that's why it tastes so good. And it, they have the, the good suppliers. We talked to, with Borja about it. It's like you asked him how do you make this. He's like, I have good good suppliers. It's like one of the things that I noticed, especially about the service, was everybody who was there, the people who were working there, wanted to be there. It seemed as though they were very focused on the customers. They have pride. I think. They had real pride of yeah. being there. The waiters, they were happy to show the menu and do you like it? Do you like it? And it, it did. It felt like a real. It felt like they were psyched to be there. Yeah, they were psyched to be there, and that's part of. We're going to talk about being excited to be there too, because that's something that's very interesting. The last thing they sent out was a was a with Basque cheesecake. Gato Basque, no, to- Basque cheesecake. Gato Basque. What, what's Gato Gato Basque? It's basically Basque cake. It's a Basque cake with with cheese on it. With cheese. It's in cheese it. with a with like a sugary crust, like a crusty, like a dough. Sugary dough crust, and the center is like, is like a marmalade. It was amazing. I mean, it was incredible. Everything was delicious. Everything was delicious. Don't worry about that. If you need to go, we can, we can, I can, I'll, don't worry, I'll take care take of Take a commercial break. No, we're taking a commercial break. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. We're, we're, we're dealing with the, with the things. So, I cannot express to you enough. I can't express to you enough. What, how I felt, how I feel being here in Barcelona. The food, 
the people, the surroundings were something that def- I could definitely live here. And what's going on with Tomer and the work is for sure representative of how the things and the people that he's been around and seen have, rep- have inspired him. He's back. We're back. I did a little filler. All right. Did a little filler. We're gonna. We're, we're not gonna. We're not gonna go. Are you? Are they coming back in like what? No. But we'll be okay. Let's. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna. Yeah. We're gonna. We're gonna wrap this up soon anyway. So, coming back to the shop now after after this amazing meal, incredible meal, came back to the shop, started. We did our own preparation for the class. Yeah. How do you feel the class went? Um, probably as good as it could have. I mean, something's going to happen. You know, things are going to go off. I mean, no one died. Uh, <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. yeah. Slight injuries only. And knives came out great. Like, for first knives, amazing. Like, we couldn't have planned it better in that regard. And, and I think people had a good time. Like, they had fun. There was good camaraderie of the, the workshop. And good people came. Like, interesting Experienced people. people and not experienced yeah, people. Yeah, Shout course. out to some of the listeners of this podcast. Ben, yeah. ABL Knives, and Hannes, yeah. and, and Mark Peacock. Yeah. Mark Peacock, Deer River, Deer River Craftsman was here. He had a great time. Yeah. And there were people who had never touched a grinder before in their life. And all the knives came out great. Yeah. And part of me believes that it is because you have simplified your process in terms of how to make knives to the point where you know what needs to be done next. That's part of the, the, the conditions that you have for Florentine Kitchen Knives. Now, and I think this is one of the things that makes me feel like there's a relationship between you and the chefs and the, the people here at Barcelona is you have created this system that you know how it's supposed to be. There's no, there's no free handing. There's yeah. no like, what are we going to do now? That's how we do it. It's just the way we do it, basically. But having said that, we also improve every day. Every day, we figure out a way to make it a little bit better. Like, we don't want to compromise quality, but... We do want to make more knives, so we we still learn every day. But wouldn't you say that that's the that's the the ethos to being able to do more volume in work is to a system yeah. having a system a dedicated system in place yeah. where there's no well what are we going to do now? Exactly. You know what you need to do yeah. now. We know we have 17 different knives that we make. And each one has its own system, but they have a lot of similarities. And we... we okay? Yeah, perfect. And, and definitely, it's a process that we know through and through. We do improve it. And some people, you know, sometimes when we have, like, new employees, they come with new, like, new knowledge that we don't have. And they, they bring it, and we, we learn something new. Like, we, okay, we can finish this better or faster or... Some little things that really improve the product, and we, we keep finding these things, and we improve our machinery, and obviously we get better over time in the making. Right. Like we some. It's hard for us to hire knife makers. It ba- barely doesn't happen. 
that we, we can hire a knife maker. We hire a maker or a designer, and they learn how to do the job over time, and they get better at it, and our knives get better at it. Do you feel that, I mean, that's the, the, the most amazing part about the class, having knife makers in the class and having non-knife makers in the class and the work coming out, the people who had never used the knife before. Yeah. And I wasn't, we figured out systems for grinding. Yeah. Shout out to TR Maker who made yeah. some awesome jigs. Yeah. We used the, the TR Maker jigs as an unsponsored ad, trust yeah. me. We used the TR Maker jigs, adjustable jigs, and the file guides. Yeah. And the file guides bolt into the jigs, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, which is a game changer. Exactly. The steel you picked yeah. was so easy to grind yeah. that it really gave us the ability to allow the students to do the work. And we took a lot of the guesswork out of it. We yeah. used jigs. We had a steel that was very, very easy. I mean, you and I, we come back from Borja's place, fat as pigs and, yeah. you know, exhausted. And we ground those knives. We fit, we ground to finish those knives in half an hour. Yeah. We did it fast. We did it fast. And that, the thinking behind thinking about your students and yeah. being able to execute using the, this is what we do next. This is what we do next. This is what we do next. You can't go to step C unless you go through A and B first. Yeah. It's incredibly hard as it is. So whatever we can make a little bit easier and have them more like, instead of struggle with something, learn how to do it. Because, you know, that, I think that was the thinking behind it. I mean, instead of like sweating it out and fighting and... So just learn how it's done first because it's the first time and be able to come out with something that you're proud of and you're completely happy with and not like mess it up or take too long. But that's, I think that that is, that changes the mindset. That changes the concept. The, that changes the confidence level. Confidence mm -hmm. and faith in the, in the method yeah. is what makes successful work. Yeah. Because you have things in place. Your guys know. You I mean you have guys who work for you. Some of them are not, one of them is a knife maker. The other ones aren't. They know that. Oh, they are now. Well, they are now. They are now. But yeah. they weren't before. Yeah. They didn't say, okay, what are we going to, you know, they didn't have to, there wasn't, there wasn't, there was, you didn't have to be on the spot. You, obviously, you know what needs to be done for the day and your, your day is set. Yeah. And then the, and then the only thing you have to worry about are the expectations of, how fast you can do each step, but well, you know that, yeah. but that is, I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people are scared of and a lot of people find boring. And I think a lot of people are against is the idea of, well, I don't like to do this because it's boring or I don't want to do this because it's not fun. Yeah. You, you, you have to have the mindset in order to be successful business Yeah. to have things very planned out. For sure. How would you say your relationship to chefs in the food world in Barcelona have affected your work? I don't know that it has, but definitely um, being in this world, well, since the beginning, I am, I, I come to night making from culinary world, not from the love of pointy objects. Like, right. I come to it from cooking. I make only kitchen knives because that's the only thing I care about. Right. It interests me. 
And first of all, I've always, this was always my business. This was never my hobby. I came to this, I wanted to make knives as a business. And it doesn't, there's hard parts to it, but they have to be done to, right. to have a business. I mean, it's not, if, if somebody is asking himself, uh, if you like it better as a hobby, then it shouldn't be your, your business. That's the way I feel. I mean, it's, it's, it's not meant to be, it's not going to be viable. And in terms of um, the scene here affecting us, I still feel like we're new, you know? I feel like we're still building it. Um, like, we work with restaurants around the world, really, from, from Australia to, to China to the U.S. to wherever. And here in Spain, we have maybe two restaurants that use our names in the whole country. We're still getting into it. It's a lot. Of, a lot of it is, is language and culture, or the way something. Sometimes it's technical stuff, like someone controls the market or is able to offer right a better value, even you know, because it's just cheap enough and good enough for its price to be. But I think we offer something unique to every restaurant we work with, and eventually we'll work more here in Spain, and then. We'll see what happens when, when that happens. That's one thing that you mentioned to me last night. You and I were talking for a few hours last night in terms of, you know, that was a really valuable, that was very valuable to me in the sense of having an understanding of, I love talking with you because I do find you to be someone who I look up to in terms of this business. I don't refer to myself as a full-time maker or part-time maker. I, full my, I, I fader knives as a business yeah. and I've always felt the importance. Yeah of it being a business. And we were talking last night about, we were talking about last night about when you were saying it's not a hobby. When I first started to stock removal knives, I thought that as a business, like mm -hmm. fader knives was always a business. Yeah. Like I never thought, like we, I even said to you last night, it's like on a day off, yeah. I'm not going to make a knife. Exactly. You know, that, that it's not, that's, that's not relaxing to me to make a knife, you know, yeah. go cook something. Um, I, it, I, I think that, I don't I forgot what I was going to say, but that was something that was very uh, talking about the business end of, of knife making, and I definitely you said something a, a few minutes ago that I just completely blanked on. Um, <laughs> but it was this is this is this is Barcelona. Sometimes it's this it affects me. Um, oh well, you know I think that one of the things is you had also told me about Chef Borja was yeah. that he is a chef's chef. Yes. And the chefs go out to dinner and they go to his restaurants. Exactly. And the fact that he has your kitchen knives. Yes. That means something. That's a lot. Every, every, every chef that uses our knives is like, it's very flattering. It's like, for us, it's like, I'm very proud that these people who do, do this as a profession and are dedicated. And, and Borja is so dedicated to his, to his craft and he's such a student of his craft. All the time, it just keeps learning and evolving. The fact that these people use our knives is like humbling. It, that in and of itself, his food is so complex in its simplicity. Where every it's thought about on the on a microscopic level. I'm not talking about microgastronomy. We're talking yeah. about like everything is accounted for. The fact that he's using your knives. He has your knives out out in the kitchen. He has it he, in the kitchen, out of the kitchen. He's using your knives. It must be. It must be overwhelming. Yeah, it's it's 
it's embarrassing sometimes. I, I, I can see that. I can yeah. feel that. I can yeah. feel that because that's part of the the part of the, the the true the true person who's never truly satisfied with their own work. I mean, is that are you ever truly satisfied? And you think maybe, maybe I can imagine if I was in the same situation. I've had chefs using my knives. So I, I, I would think to myself, "Is it making <laughs> these guys don't know what they're talking?" You know, sometimes yeah. I think to myself, yeah. "These guys don't know what they're doing, and they don't know what they're talking about." You know, so I can totally understand what you're saying. Definitely. If you don't have imposter syndrome, like if you don't feel like 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 an imposter, sometimes I think there's something wrong with you. Do you do you believe that? Do you think that that, that what do you think that is? You think that. You think that it's important to, to have – not important, but like – It's good drive. I mean, it pushes you. It does. So, I mean, it could break some people, but for me, it helps. I mean, it, it means you want to strive to be better. Of course. I mean, I can't believe that I'm as good as it seems sometimes right. from the outside. I just – I don't believe it. So – I don't either. That's, that's the hard part about imposter syndrome. But the imposter syndrome doesn't come from customers. The imposter syndrome comes from your colleagues or from your peers. You know, that's where it comes from. I mean, someone who – if they have a customer that says, I love your knife. Yeah. However, I do – I have said to – in passing as a joke to Tony, one person says, I love your knife. It's my favorite knife. And I turn to Tony and said, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> like I'm, I, I, I'm very self-deprecating. That yeah. I say, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking yeah. about. This guy just – all he does is open paint cans with my knife at the front of his email. <laughs> I remember what, I, we, what you had mentioned before and that I blanked on. It was the idea of value. You're wanting – and we were talking about it last night. You're wanting to provide value is something that before we met each other, that's, I felt the same way. And I think that that comes from the culinary world. Yeah. The idea of being a host and you as an, as a proud Egyptian <laughs> heritage, one of the greatest hosts of all time. I think that there is something to the nature that who you are that makes you want to provide value. I've never once, we've talked a lot. I've never once heard you say, I'm going to gouge this guy. Well, not gouge, but you know what I'm saying. I'm never. I'm going to give them the. I've I've only I've only heard you talk about your customers in the in the kindest regards, but also the consistently wanting to provide value. Yes, I mean, even it's true. Even to the point where some things we don't do because we feel we it they cost too much. Not in the way, not because we overcharge, but because we feel. Like, I, I don't know, it's maybe controversial, but I feel that it's this way a little bit about Damascus steel, for instance. It's not a better steel than other steel. Right. It, the knife will perform equally if it's that steel or the other. And so for me to make a Damascus steel knife and charge five, six, seven times as much for it because that's what it costs us to finish and to, like, to buy the raw material, it's not enough value. In my eyes, so I prefer to do it the way we we do it, and I know, and we want to stay on this certain level that we are approachable for most cooks and most people. Let's say, of course, let's say middle class right. people, and 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 we want to keep it this way. Like we want to be, and and we give them the like the utmost value that we can give them for what they pay for. But I think that that's the, that's also comes from the person that you are. You, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not making a joke when I say you're an incredible host. I 
Touche. You, I mean, like, there's no, nothing is left, nothing, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to be a guest. I mean, I, sh- I showed up here with, like, a, I showed up with a wheelbarrow full of stuff. I literally, my entire too much, coach, too much stuff. my, to- well, I know, I, the last time I was overwhelmed by what a host you were. And I just, I know that I am a terrible host. I'm not a terrible host, but I'm not going to be even a, a fraction of the host that you are. And I said to Hillary when we were packing up, I'm like, I'm giving him this, I'm giving him, I'm getting this, I'm getting this. And she's like, Wow, your whole bag, your whole check bag is for him. I'm like, Yeah, you know why? Because he, he's an incredible host, and I just have to. I need him to physically know, physically know how I know. And it, I want, I he, I know he's trying to provide value, and, and I feel the same way. So I think that there is. I don't necessarily think, and, and it's interesting because I know that Florentine Kitchen Knives is not Botner. Yeah. Knives, yeah. but your the person that you are in terms of being generous, and I know you're very generous with the makers. You're willing to help them when it, when they approach you. You never you don't say no. You're not yeah. you don't worry. You don't go after people if, if they, when they're taking your designs <laughs> and stuff like that. Which you I mean you maybe 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 you curse under your breath, but other than that, you're very thoughtful and generous. I believe. That the core values of Florentine Kitchen Knives, besides the influence that you've had from your, your time in Israel and the time in Barcelona, the core of it comes from you and your wife known. Providing value, being a generous host. There has a connection there. It has to be. It's just not standard. I appreciate it. I mean, we can't be anyone else. We are who we are. And obviously, we, we grew up a certain way and we were formed by certain things. I think for... In Israel, maybe like that sense of camaraderie, and which I believe is really usually very well re- reflected in the knife making community. Like usually, the, the people I talk to are very generous with their knowledge, and for me, there's never a question. There's 99% of things I will share. It's not a problem. I will share anything you want to know. And now that you have it, it pushes me right. to do better. Right, 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 right. Well, that's 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 what you hope. Yeah, you, that's what you hope. I think that that's one thing that a lot of young knife makers don't realize. Whereas, a lot of people will see something other people make that they'll they'll be inspired in regards to the design. They'll be inspired by um, how things look. They'll be inspired by um, the ability to see what other people are making, and then they make that decision. Your knives, Florentine Kitchen Knives, are so unique and so sincere. I think that one of the takeaways that a lot of knife makers should do, just besides the fact that you're an excellent business person and that you're, you have a, you're going about things in a specific way, but your design, your, your designs and your decision-making is unique from a design aspect. You're not, your knives don't look like anybody else's knives. Of course, people have been making stack handles for centuries and that's not, but however, the difference between your, your work stands alone in terms of the, the, in terms of the final outcome. Well, we we stand on on the shoulders of of those who came before us. Of course, but you 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 are not making skakel knives. No, you're not making skakel knives. No one would ever say, "Oh, he's just ripping off the skakel knife." It's yeah. not, it's not that you can't. You, it's impossible. It would be beyond a stretch to say that. 
the commonality is, or the relationship that your work has, it's with you. And I would say the takeaway is, is the relationship that you have with your your knives as a business person should be a relationship that you has of yourself as a person. And the sincerity, I love, I say, I've been saying value. I mean, for me, value has always been, I mean, growing up, I, I, my, one of my biggest influences from art is Keith Haring mm-hmm. because he made these outside pieces yeah. that were for the people. Yeah. They weren't for gallerists, obviously he had galleries and he sold his work, but it was very approachable because it was for, it was for everyone. And I wanted that. And I also had a mentor who used to tell me when you make small sculpture, it becomes more approachable. Right. The idea of being approachable is something that I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. Obviously you can only do so much with, you know, your volume and all with your techniques and stuff. Yeah. But this is Florentine kitchen knives is, is you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a complete, it's a complete representation of the experiences that you've had, the places that you've been, the people that you know, I see when you, when I see you with Borja, when we're eating his food, when we're walking down the streets, when we're with your beautiful family, your family is just so wonderful. Your your son Lev and Lily and, and your wife yeah. Noam are just amazing. They're just beautiful, wonderful people. This is Botner Knives. It is it is Botner Knives. And and it it's a complete representation of the person that you are. And I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for me as a friend. And I look up to you and I feel that there's a sincerity in you and your work and your business and everything that you do that is very apparent and it's not a lot of people see. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we're lucky to have you and your family as our friends. And please come every year. Oh, well, every we'll work year. it out. We'll work it out. Your next class, we're going to wrap this up a little soon because we got some people here. Yeah. Your next class is with Steve Pellegrino. That's right. Steve so, Pellegrino is coming in October. It's already booked. Already booked. And, but we'll figure out the next one after that. We're going to have a good time with Steve. Steve's also an excellent cook. We didn't talk about the dinner. that. We oh, yeah. So well, let's much. talk about the dinner and we'll get the yeah. fuck out of here. All right. I had such a good time cooking with you. I was you. worried, I have to say. You were worried. I was worried because I am when I cook, I am very premeditated. And like I want to have the concept. Right. Everything thought out, everything works. This works with this, this works with that. And also, I'm like a control freak, so not, not a lot was in our hands during that because the, the shopping and, and so, things. So, just to, just to set the stage up, in the, we had decided because you know what, this isn't just a class. We wanted to have a good time. Yeah. We have this entertainment space. We talk about we're culinary knife makers, we're also cooks. Yeah. So, we thought, let's invite the students for dinner. Yeah. So we had 15 people all day. Yeah. And we had to think about it. So every few months, I would say to them, what are we going to make? What are we going to make? And everyone <laughs> thought I was going to, we were going to make paella. And I'm like, I, and some, one friend of mine says, I can't believe you're going to go into the heart of Barcelona and make par- paella. And I'm like, yeah, well, bring this shit. I'm going to let them know how it is. And we didn't know what we are going to do. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of, we'll make it happen. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. Yeah. 15 people, no big deal. It happened. And Noam made these beautiful salads and all these. We got the beautiful pitas and and, and hummuses and spices. Noam worked all day basically, and then we swoop in. We bought some chickens, some shrimp, some fish, 
We swooped in. We swooped in. We stole the. I mean, it was glory. Yeah. It was like glory hog time. Yeah. Poor gnome slaved all day, yeah. prepping everything with two children running yeah. around. Yeah. Amazing. And you and I came in there like a bunch of <laughs> vultures and stole it all away. Yeah. I had so much fun cooking for everybody. It was great. We had we had you. I, we went. To, you took me to the market by your old shop. Yeah. We just well, the which world is, famous bukeria market. The world famous bukeria market by the La Ramblas, and we picked up fresh fish, fresh uh, sardines, and 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 this is not like a, you know a supermarket. This is like <laughs> a, this is like everything. You'll see some flies. Yeah. You will see some. There will be some flies, yeah. and they're gonna. But everything's on ice, and 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 uh, I was actually talking to your wife. We got some chicken parts, uh, some chicken legs and thighs, and I was and I, this before when I marinated them with this spice. You gave me this special yeah. pepper spice that I yeah. mixed with olive oil, lemon juice, and salt. I gave this chicken a sniff. I always give the chicken a sniff. There is a smell that chicken can have, right? That your brain immediately says. Nope. We got to cook this now, yeah. and we might have to go long, a little yeah. longer than normal. We, this chicken might have to go right now, yeah. and we might have to really season it up, yeah. and we might have to really make it fly a little bit more done than we normally would. <laughs> but it was delicious. It was so much fun cooking in Spain, and um, it was it was hot. It was hot Sweaty, as hell. But it was very tasty. It was very tasty, and I would. And you made you fed you hand fed me like a baby. You made yes. me these. Be- I was. This is what I was most fun about. <laughs> we make a joke, and we're gonna we're gonna end in a minute. We make a joke. In the United States, they have in the supermarkets they have all this bullshit hummus. It's everything bagel hummus and the chocolate hummus and all this shit. And I always send pictures of to 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 uh, Tomer, and he always tells me what an abomination it is. And in America, you have too many freedoms. What are you doing with chocolate hummus? And it's this very funny thing. And you made me these pitas that were just out of control, out of control with hummuses and all sorts of stuff. And all. it was amazing. It was a good time, really good time. Steve's coming next. Yep. He wants a full. I'm going to have Steve on before he comes. And we're going to. I'm going to give him a. We're going to give him a. You know, like. Barcelona, working at Potomac 101. I'm going to give him a pep talk. Steve and his wife. Steve and his wife. Right. This is yeah. going on, coming on a honeymoon. We're going to do a pep talk. I'm going to give him a pep talk for coming to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. you got to make him cook steak because he, I will say this on the record, Borja is my favorite chef, but I've never had a steak better cooked than by Steve Pellegrino. You, mm-hmm. you never had Borja cook you a steak, though. All right, Steve. you got to take Steve to see I Borja. I will take him, and Borja will make him a steak this time. All right. Well, there you go. All right, guys, listen to me. You're going to go follow Florentine Kitchen Knives. Get on their newsletter because that's how you're going to find out when we're going to do this class. Because we're going to, he's going to be doing. We're, I'm coming back. There's no question about it. I'm coming back to Barcelona. We're going to do it again. And the knives that we're making are going to only be available in the class. We're not. Um, Fader Knives isn't selling them. The Double Agent Florentine Kitchen Knives isn't selling them. You got to come to Barcelona and take the class and make one yourself, and then we will. See you when we see you in beautiful Barcelona. Tomer, I cannot thank you enough for your generosity, your hospitality, and your friendship. It means more to you, more to me than you can imagine, and I appreciate the shit out of you. Thank you, man. I feel exactly the same way. All right, guys. Listen, we've had enough love. We've had enough love. We're going to see you next week. And once again, thank you from... Barcelona. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Adios. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. <laughs> <laughs>